Welcome to Change Making Women, the podcast for women who make a difference. With Ziada Bade in Dar es Salaam, Tanzania, and Marianne Clements in London, in the UK. Our guest, we're really excited today. We have Tanya Geisler, who's a leadership coach and an, ex- an, an expert on the imposter complex. And um, she's also a good friend of mine and someone I'm excited to introduce Yada to as well. So, Tanya, it's really lovely to have you with us. Um, it'd be great if you could also tell us where in the world you are yeah, and maybe say a little bit more about yourself just to get us started. So thank you so much for having me. I am in Toronto, chilly, 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 chilly Toronto today. Um, oh my God, it's like my, I've got sweaters on. It's June, it not, should not be so cold. Um, yeah, but uh, yeah, I'm a leadership coach. Uh, I, I, you, know, you say that I'm an expert in the imposter complex. I like to think of myself more like a, almost like a reluctant expert in the imposter complex. <laughs> you know, the whole u- u- universe uh, make sure that you are in integrity with that which you teach. So um, I come up against the imposter complex time and time again, and that's mm-hmm. why I'm a reluctant expert. But uh, this is definitely where I spend my days thinking deeply and uh, about the imposter complex and of working with my clients um, to help them achieve incredible things by uh, finding ways to circumvent their imposter complex. That's what I do. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. quite interesting I think my first question will just be imposter complex if someone is listening to this and they're like what does that stand for what does that mean what does that entail <sighs> oh crippling self-doubt is what it entails but um, more specifically the the term is actually the imposter phenomenon and that's what was um, coined by psych- clinical psychologist Pauline Clance and Suzanne Imes back in 1978. Uh, So they were working with high-functioning, high-achieving women, and they recognized that with these women that they were working with, they seemed to be incapable of internalizing their success. So any successes that these women were experiencing Um, Those women would attribute to luck or fluke or timing or any factors that were outside of them uh, and their own capacity and skills and talents. Failures, on the other hand, they were more than able to internalize, you know. something went wrong that was all on me you know uh so that's really the 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 landscape of the imposter complex the idea of we discounting our successes but internalizing our failures Mm -hmm. uh and so there's you know like it, it this is how long is a piece of string thing so i have so much to say about it but that bottom line that's what it is that feeling like you're an imposter it's just a matter of time before they find out that you're not who you think you are or not who they think you are. Uh, you feel like a fraud. All of those things are happening. It's really interesting. And um, Tanya, I wonder like, um, if you could tell us or tell our listeners a few ways that this kind of shows up like in your clients, mm-hmm. yeah. what kinds of problems are they having when they come to you or they find out about this work? What sort of, yeah, what sort of stuff yeah. are they facing? Well, first of all, 
there's usually you know one probably my favorite piece about this work is that when I start to name it for people they go oh like there's this relief that shows up because they go oh it has a name it's actually pretty common we know that about 70% of people at some point or another experience this um, and the really good news about the imposter complex is that you only experience it uh, if you are high functioning, high achieving with strong values of mastery, integrity, and excellence. Because actual frauds don't feel like frauds. Actual frauds don't have this experience. So if you're experiencing mm -hmm. this, good news is you're probably not a fraud. What you, what it, you're, you're discerning, you've got strong values of mastery, integrity, and excellence. So how people usually present is they've got really big things to do, world-changing things that they need to yeah. do. But the moment they start to really step into that, they go, oh my gosh, who am I to do this? Yes, sure, I've got all of this body of evidence that's behind me, but really, I just got lucky or somebody just liked me and that's why they gave me this opportunity. Uh, it's not really because I'm the person to do this. So my job is to get people back into that place of actually you are the person to do this. Yeah. And it's, there are 12 really specific lies that the imposter complex wants us to believe. So my job is to make sure that people are aware that these are lies. Mm -hmm. um, and then there are also these coping mechanisms that we go to when we are fully in the throes of imposter complex. So usually it's one of those experiences that people are going to show up, they're going to present to my work. So the crazy thing about uh, the, the, these behavioral traits is that they're actually double binds. So what I mean here is that when you're feeling like the imposter, you might go to one of these behaviors to feel a little less like an imposter. But by engaging this behavior, you're going to feel more like an imposter. So that's why it's super complicated and super rich and why it keeps me so fascinated on the daily. Um, <clears throat> so if, say for instance, we're talking about that person who was given a, a great opportunity, you know, they, the, the world-changing woman given a great opportunity to deliver a talk, for instance. Mm -hmm. So, um, but she's feeling like an imposter. So she's probably going to go down one of two paths. One is that she's going to go down, a, you know, her familiar behavior of perfectionism, right? She's going to like work super hard. She's going to, you know, work herself to the bone or she might procrastinate. These are both uh, pretty typical behaviors of the imposter complex when we're experiencing this. So what's going to happen is if she goes and down, down the path of perfectionism, you know, you know what it feels like when you're working two to three times as hard as, as anybody else around you, you start to think, Oh my goodness, like nobody else has to work this hard. Why am I, why am I killing myself? I must have to work this hard because I don't belong here. So that's often what happens. So we go, you know, this is especially true when we're working on teams and we go, my gosh, I, you know, for me to, to, to keep up, I have to work so much harder than anybody else. So that might be what happens when we go down this, the path of perfectionism. Um, and so again, like that, that, that sort of reinforces this belief that we're the imposter. The other path, if you go down the path of procrastination, for instance, so this woman who's, who's been invited to do this talk, She's going to put it off because she's afraid of, you know, feeling like that imposter. It's like, I, I, I'm, I don't know why they gave me this opportunity in the first place. So I'm going to go on Facebook or I'm going to go to some other behavior. I'm going to put it off and put it off and put it off. So 
two typical outcomes that happen here. She either rallies and does, you know, a pretty fantastic job. She feels really good about the job that she did. She manages to pull it out. You know, the, the, the talk goes really, really well. Uh, and then she, the first thing she does is she feels good about it. But then the second thing she goes, oh, maybe... Maybe they didn't have such discerning taste after all. It wasn't actually that good. Like they, what, what were they seeing? Because my talk actually kind of sucked, right? So this is what happens. Or the other, op the other thing that might happen is she actually doesn't do such a great job after all because all of that weight and pressure and anxiety and stress all built such that she didn't do her very best, which of course just once again reinforces that she shouldn't have been given to herself, let me be clear, reinforces to herself that she shouldn't have been given the opportunity, that she wasn't qualified enough, skilled enough, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So these are some of the ways that it gets you coming and going. And that's just two of the six. There's also, um, we can have leaky boundaries as a coping mechanism. We want to make sure that everyone likes us, so we're going to say yes to everything, even though we know we shouldn't. Um, we might be stuck in a place of people pleasing. We might be stuck in a place of diminishment. Um, and comparison is really up as a coping mechanism and a behavioral trait if we're experiencing the imposter complex. So at some point or another, most people who present with the imposter complex are in one of these experiences. Yeah. I relate to many of those. <laughs> yeah, I mean, uh, just just as you're speaking, I'm like, I am all of those. So, yeah. so where's yeah. the balance? How does someone balance? Well, the good news is that you don't experience them all at the same time. I swear to you, I feel like if anybody experienced it, like never get out of bed in the morning, right? True. So, I absolutely, yeah. The first thing is to recognize that it's happening, just like everything else, just like when we're in fear or in grief, or like just recognize, oh, hello, this is my old friend, the imposter complex. I see why I'm trying to avoid feeling like an imposter because I've got this experience, which is why I'm procrastinating, which is why I'm saying yes to things I know I need to say no to, which is why I'm, you know, trying to make sure that everybody likes me and, and I can use my charm. So just recognizing it is absolutely the very first thing. Um, and again, I want to dial down the fact that this is not, um, it, it doesn't, it, my, my talking about it is intended to give us some light, a glimmer of hope that this is not, this is not futile. In fact, when the imposter complex shows up, all it's really doing is showing us that what we're doing matters. You know, like this is really, it only happens when we're on the precipice of doing something that really matters. It doesn't, it doesn't present when you're like ordering a hot dog or, you know, like it's, it's not everywhere and it's only in the things that really matter to you. So, you know, sometimes we, a lot of the work that I do, I have a program called Step Into Your Star and Roll. And one of the very first things we do is identify what that role is that somebody wants to step into. And I, I say, if it's not rankling your imposter complex in any way, shape, or form, then it's probably not a big enough stretch for you. So it's actually a pretty good litmus test of just how much something matters, just how much, uh, how meaningful something is for you. Yeah. I, I get that, uh, Tanya, and I, and, there's, and I wanted to ask you to drill down on one of them as well, because um, I think that um, leaky boundaries is one that I, I know I, 
I, it is something I suffer from <laughs> perpetually. But also I know it's something that a lot of the women I work with who, who want to make a difference in the world, find themselves maybe saying yes to not just the thing they thought they were working on, but also maybe being on someone else's charity board and maybe volunteering to fundraise for someone else or there's a kind of lots of potential in the kind of uh not-for-profit world to kind of get yeah sidelined into lots of things can I say and uh so it's something that I see a lot as well and um I just I'm interested in your take on some strategies around leaky boundaries in particular yeah, I'm a big fan of attributing my teachers, and that's why I always name Pauline Clance and Suzanne mm -hmm. Imes right off the very top. And I just did a webinar with uh, Randy Buckley, uh, mm -hmm. who talks a lot about boundaries. So uh, whereas I consider myself a pretty much an expert, a reluctant expert as it is, um, in <laughs> actually I used I often use Randy in some of my speaking gigs because I'll say I'm a reluctant expert in the imposter complex, just like my friend Randy Buckley is a reluctant expert in leaky boundaries because this is again the same thing. We have to keep coming up against it. So um, in that webinar, we shared a lot of uh, very specific uh, strategies. Randy has a great garden gate analogy mm -hmm. that I think is really super powerful. And the idea being that when we're working with someone um, who so who is, challenges our boundaries, shall we say, or we have a hard time working with them because of you know our boundaries or they're pushing up boundaries, it's really important to get clear about um, our values. You know, and as coaches we always start from the values place. Mm -hmm. uh, so the idea of being able to, you know, if you're at the center um, of this garden, this is the analogy that she has, the first gate is going to be a gate of respect. So if somebody's going to be, you know, if they, we've got a mutual value of respect, they can come a little bit closer. And then you need to determine what your next boundary is. If that's kindness, if they, you know, also have the value of kindness, then you can uh, allow them to approach. That's really a very personal way of dealing with it. I just thought that was really powerful. Um, exercise to be considering uh, but for and for me the the way it shows up the leaky boundaries show up as it relates specifically to the imposter complex when we're standing around and it's important to say that one of the things that uh, we now know about the imposter complex is that it really is a bioevolutionary there's a context to it that's bioevolutionary. So it actually is in place to make sure that we don't mutate too quickly. And it's also super concerned that we don't stick out too much, that we are not too successful, nor are we too much of failures. Okay. Yeah. So it like doesn't want us to be outside. So it keep, it tries to keep us in the middle, in the middle of the path. Mm. Right? Yeah, that's where we're safest. Mm -hmm. so, mm -hmm. so that's where the leaky boundaries are going to show up. We would go, well, I want to make sure that everybody, I want to make sure that I'm fitting in. And for me to fit in, it means I'm going to have to say yes. Or for me to fit in, I'm going to have to compromise what I believe to be true. Or I'm going to have to, and then the double bind here is that when you're standing in an opinion that's not actually yours, guess what? You are the imposter. So that's where this double bind starts to come back in. So you know, if you identify that boundaries are, are, you know, your edge to grow, your edge to strengthen, 
I have three strategies that I come back to time and time again when dealing with the imposter complex and then when dealing with specific behavioral traits that show up with the imposter complex. And those mm -hmm. are always meeting the critics, so getting super granular about what the fear is. Like what is it that you believe is going to happen if you don't breach your boundaries, if you don't say yes when you want to say no. Right. Um, you know, so like really getting clear about what the fear is here. Uh, so that just that, that bypasses any laziness, any sort of behavior that's just like, ah, it's just easier if I just, you know, say yes mm. to this thing that's going to cost me everything, right? It's going to cost me my sanity. It's going to cost me my health and well-being, you know, but like, mm. so, so get like, get clear about what is underneath the inclination to, to compromise yourself. So, so that might be an inner critic. It might be a realistic objection. You might feel, you know, it might be a safety issue. So just get clear about what that is. Yeah. 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 Cool. yeah. Okay. Yeah. Then the next one is, um, and again, these are three strategies that I apply to everything as it relates to the imposter complex. So there are definitely some nuances, but the other is bolstering your authority thesis. And this means coming back to all of those times where you did the hard job of saying no, or coming back to all the times that you did actually exercise some really uh, gorgeous boundaries, or, you know, thinking back to all the places where you've experienced somebody else's boundaries. So just like really thinking about it much more, um, yeah, just much more, like I want to say strategically. So, so where, do you, where are you already ex um, exercising good boundaries? Where are you already exercising kind boundaries? Like, so just giving yourself, so rather than saying, I just, I'm just really crap at this, <laughs> reminding yourself the places that you're actually, you, you're doing a pretty good job. And that way you can start to strengthen them in other places and recognizing that you saying no does not mean that, you know, your colleague's life is at stake. Unless of course it is, in which case that's a very different situation. And we're not talking about boundaries, we're talking about something else. So yeah. just being like really clear about uh, what those boundaries, uh, where you've, where you've been masterful in it. And then the third is assembling the cast. Um, because again, with, with boundaries, this is this is a work in progress, and we're all works in progress. So gathering some support around it, um, you know, like <laughs> I've had this conversation thousands of times over the years. Sometimes the people that are already in our um, our sphere, or the people that are challenging our boundaries, which is why coming back to that garden gate analogy is really helpful. Mm. But really getting, you know, if this is if you need support with your boundaries, let somebody know who's got the boundaries work down pat, let them know and help them to hold you accountable for uh, being more diligent, more focused on it. So like um, someone who can help you say no, right? Exactly. Absolutely. Yeah. You know, I think I'm going to do this. I don't really want to do this. Remind me to say no. Sometimes that's just a really powerful structure. Yeah, I can really see that actually. Just, just the act of having somebody to say that to can make actually quite a big difference. If you're... Yeah. Yeah, if you're a person who compulsively says yes, super but, simple, right? And and yeah. it actually doesn't need to be that. It doesn't need to be much harder than that. And I think that. Um, and I just want to sort of like take another step sideways, whether it's talking about leaky boundaries or comparison or diminishment or or any of these aspects of the imposter complex. It's trying to keep you out of action. It's trying to keep you doubting yourself and it's trying to keep you alone and isolated. That's what the imposter complex is trying to do. So our, 
approach always needs to come back to those three strategies of meeting the critics, bolstering your authority thesis and assembling the cast. Because those are the mm. things that can, that can yep. help you turn a different corner with it, right? Yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah, I yeah. yeah, so what are some of the challenges that uh, you faced during this journey in terms of sharing the message, in terms of doing the work, in terms of, you know, advocating and... Yeah, so um, <laughs> myself, <laughs> right? I'm, I'm, I'm working on a book and I've been working on this book for quite some time. So I can see all of my own, my own procrastination patterns coming in. Who do I think I am to be writing the book on the imposter complex? I don't have a clinical psychology degree. Um, so there's, so there's a lot of that. That's why I'm saying this is very, it gets very meta, you know, it gets very, um, I am working my progress every single day. And sometimes, you know, that's the joke that I make. It's like, why am I not talking about desire? That means I get to experience desire every single day. Um, so I think <laughs> that, so just talking about something like this and you have to go through it. <laughs> no, it's the going through it yeah. every time. And then bringing, you know, bringing, um, bringing the truthfulness with it. It's very vulnerable because it really does mm. ask of me to, to bring the experience forward. So I've got a speaking gig coming up in two days. I'll be speaking with some super high profile women and you know, I, I can, I can feel it. I can feel it rising up. Mm. Um, and I know this, like I know this, like the back of my hand. So I just have to keep coming up against, um, my own, uh, my own challenges, my own mindset stuff, and then mm. work my process. And it works tremendously well. Um, and I can, I can attest to it. Uh, and I think the other thing too is, and it's, it's really, um, you know, the, I think there's this thing, this belief that once we know how to work around the imposter complex that we're never going to experience it again. And so I think that that's kind of a painful thing that some of the people that I, um, that come to this work, they go, Oh geez, I really thought that I had this all figured out and you do have it all figured out. It just shape shifts and it, and it moves with you. It's a bit of a traveling companion. So the truth that, you know, just recognizing that the truth that it's never fully gone, it actually just gets a little more sophisticated, but as long as we keep coming back to the same strategies over and over and over, you know, it's, 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 it's gold. We're golden. Um, so I think that that's it. I think sometimes like believing, thinking, okay, that's it. I've, I've, I've done it. Never again. Am I going to have to experience this? It's like, Oh no, I just have like one more stage to climb and then the next and the next and the next. And that's just how the ego works. Mm. So, um, so that's, I would say that's probably one of the biggest challenges is just like living the work. Mm. And it makes me want to ask you as well, Tanya, um, to what extent if this feels like um, something that women experience more than men, and I don't know about the data, you talked about 70% of people, I don't know whether you know about the sort of gender balance of that, because it strikes me that some of, some of these things might be particularly um, part of the way that some of our cultures, maybe all our cultures, think about women and their success and some yeah. of the other things we've guessed we've had on the show, we've spoken quite a lot around those, those issues. So I'm just interested in the kind of gender 
So, <laughs> so the data is actually pretty nascent in terms of men. We know for a fact that absolutely men experience it. You know, if you're high functioning, high, you know, you've got strong values of mastery, integrity, and excellence, you're experiencing it. And, you know, there's everybody who's on the precipice of something new is going to have a flicker of, of self-doubt to be certain. Here's where it gets, uh, here's where it just looks a little bit differently. Those coping mechanisms mm -hmm. that I was talking about, that people pleasing, those leaky boundaries, that diminishment, those are pretty specific to the feminine conditioning. Yeah. Um, and so that's, so it, it shows up for men differently, but they're, uh, and wow, massive, super sweeping generalizations, but the way, you know, boys in most cultures are raised, it's, you know, we don't talk about that. We just push through, we push through. Um, and so, you know, whereas we've got for girls, we are looking for perfection over bravery. We're looking for, so there is a way in which these the coping mechanisms that we go to. It's safest to be in the middle of the pack. Make sure that everybody likes you. Don't take up too much space. Don't go too far forward. Um, that, that's, that's, um, special, I guess, to the way that we are, that, that society has been raising young girls for a, you know, for a very, very, very long time, uh, hooked right into the, the patriarchy and men absolutely experience it. Yeah. I get that. Okay. It, it's interesting. So maybe that some of those ways that we, the ways that we behave when we're in this mess and we can't see it mm -hmm. uh, might be, might, might be particular. And then maybe perhaps culturally, you know, differ a bit as well, I guess. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. So, yeah. 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 Mm, interesting. Tiada, are you going to say, ask something? No, I thought I heard you say, no. Um, no, no, I'm here. <laughs> um, what did I want to say? Um, I, I wanted to ask you, Tanya, I know you do quite a lot of speaking around this, and, I, mm -hmm. and I, I'm interested in, like, um, and you speak to some, you know, different groups of, I think, successful women and, and different women's forums and, and, and in, in various places. And I'm interested in, like, um whether what 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 it is about the women who who managed to push through this like what are the what are the things about them that are remarkable or what what is it that makes people and i don't mean your clients because you could say it's you right <laughs> <laughs> but like if you you know seeing it in a broader sense like what what is what are the conditions in which people find their way through this stuff as opposed so, to just getting stuck with all that well, I'm just thinking about the last, um, so a couple of months back, I was speaking at a conference and it was a huge, huge conference. And I, I did three different sessions. Uh, one was the, uh, a mega session, they called it. That was mega. Um, but then I also spoke with a group of uh, young women and women identified people that were just pretty much out of university. So they were just mm -hmm. coming into the workforce. Mm -hmm. And then the next day I did this, uh, a similar talk with uh, like VP level women in the same industry. It happened to be, uh, it was engineers. Okay. So it happened to be engineers. Is VP like senior. Yeah, yeah, senior, senior. Yeah, vice presidents and... Oh, okay. Okay. So, okay. Yeah, that's... Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so, so there was, you know, there was a, there's a, 
qualification gap, but there's also an age gap, significant yeah. age gap. Right, right. So what really struck me about the, the so engineering is a, is a tough, this is one of the perfect storm industries where women are underrepresented. Mm -hmm. um, it's, it shows up significantly. So the other thing about the imposter complex, of course, is that it really, it, it's very, um, the farther you are from the center of the universe, <laughs> so the white cisgender male, for instance, mm -hmm. like that, the farther out you are, if you're a part of like that, that, that operating system and the farther you are out of that, you're going to feel more and more like an imposter. So whatever the, so in a, in a, you know, female dominated industry, a man's going to feel the imposter complex more. Uh, so it's like, that's the other thing to bring in. So mm. by race, by ability, by class, like, so these are all different things. So I'm, we're talking about men and versus women, but like, let's bring, you know, all the different intersections in here. So the farther away you are from the epicenter of whatever universe you're operating from, yeah. uh, you're going to feel it most. So in this case, it was in the United States, um, in the engineering industry, uh, and, you know, the white male rules all right? right so these women so whether they were right at a university or at, at sort of the, the apex of their career they're having similar experiences here's the biggest difference that i saw from the two groups the women just out of university were not trusting that they could what i as i say assemble the cast they weren't trusting that they could really lean into the people that were around them that they were really going to be able to support each other okay mm -hmm. versus the women at the very you know the the, high, the highest point they recognized that they were only there because they had lifted each other up that yeah. they were mm -hmm. truly better together, that they needed to, that their systems of, you know, systemic uh, oppression and microaggressions and like uh, overt sexism and that they needed to work together to get where they were. And I think that that was so stark in, in contrast, this not trusting and this like, oh, honey, like there's no other way to do it, um, yeah. which was just super fascinating to me. So it, you know, it, not everybody, um, needs to work that edge there some people are already can recognize the truth and we're walking each other home but that's not true for everyone um mm -hmm. so that's the I, I feel like that was really interesting i've never been it had never been so starkly delineated like that like you know one day it was fascinating Mm. So, mm. Yeah, so, the, so it sounds like the women that who, who knew that they had to lift each other up were the, perhaps were the ones that, or at least the experience of the ones that were, met, that, that were later in their careers mm -hmm. really mm. learned that. Yep. They Absolutely. came with that or they learned it along the way. And it yep. makes sense, right? It really mm -hmm. makes sense. And, and a lot of the strategies, you know, those key strategies that you spoke to of um, assembling the cars they think it is and... Mm -hmm. um, bolstering your authority they're really about like how to get support from other people and then also mm. like listen when people say positive things about you right so they yeah. those things are, seem to be like a really key thing that yeah can make a difference yeah. absolutely see the thing is you know again if you are somebody so for, for me of all of those coping mechanisms i'm a people pleaser i i've you know i've worked on my diminishment i don't do that so much anymore i take up as much space as i'd like to you know <laughs> uh, my boundaries are a little you know they, i've done some good work there procrastination eh, still a little bit comparison i feel pretty good 
but this people pleasing is still, it's still pretty up for me. And so when you look about at uh, bolstering your authority thesis, I always talk about it, it has to be an inside job before it can be an outside job. Because if we're not really uh, savvy and really aware of all that we have personally done, regardless of what other people say, yeah. um, then we can't actually internalize any of their praise. Uh, mm. We can't, we don't let it in, it's water off the duck's back. So it's mm. really important that we get, um, that, we, that we take care of that internally. Otherwise, we're really just like, oh, they're just saying nice things because they like me, not because I'm really excellent at what it is mm -hmm. I want to be excellent at. And that's really important to, to be clear on that because it's not just about receiving other compl others' compliments. It's also about uh, being able to fill our own tanks too. Sure. Okay. I, I hear that. And I'm, I'm interested. So if, if someone's listening, and maybe for me as well, maybe I want some advice as well. Um, <laughs> what would be the way to start doing that for myself? Like, um, to, to build my own kind of positive um, idea of my own uh, achievements and yeah. So it's so fascinating, you know, it's so interesting because sometimes I'll, in talks, I'll just have people just blast it out. Go ahead. What is everything that you have ever done? And, you know, they look at me like I am insane because <laughs> how could you possibly do that? But it's really important to, to look, like write down everything you have done and delivered and sold and healed and survived and offered and, you know, like absolutely everything, everything you've done and you know, take an hour, take two hours, take a day, but just having this list of absolutely everything you've done. People are always wondering why, you know, how the seventh grade science fair project could possibly relate to the work of stepping into leadership, but it absolutely does because we have to remind ourselves all of the times that we faced this, um, I can't, I feel like an imposter, and we did it anyway to remind ourselves that that party is on the other side of the resistance. So every single time, you know, we didn't know how to manage a team until we were asked to manage a team. Uh, we didn't know how to, you know, how, <laughs> rear a child until we were handed a child. Like, we don't, you know, so we don't know how to do these things until we are on the precipice of it. And just every time we've pushed past and made that, that leap. Um, you know, and didn't die, like this is a win. Um, yes. So there's that. Mm. There's really just this, what is it that you have done in an exhaustive list? Take yourself out on a date and just blast it and, um, you know, keep the pen moving. Set, you know, set the time for half an hour, whatever it is. And just and literally you know, write down everything. everything. Yeah. And I think that's one of the, the most important things. We hardly write anything down if you think about it. I mean, yeah. you let your moments pass by. You never really look back to what you've done, you've achieved, what you can do, and, and so on. I think that's really quite interesting and quite inspiring, too. And if anyone, you know, for someone who's listening to, to this podcast, definitely something to knock down. Yeah, I think that's a yeah. really great. And, it's, and I've done this um, at, at Tanya's suggestion a while ago. And, um, and I think it's, it's funny because it sort of sounds like, oh, right, yeah. Then I just write down. It, it almost sounds like writing a CV or something. I just write down. <laughs> mm. But it's not. Because A, it's for you. 
and so the process is different um it's it's an internal thing really although writing it down really helps to kind of tell yourself it in a way absolutely um and maybe if you can share it with someone you trust as well then then you know that that could be extra useful but i also Mm. think um there's something really powerful about saying it to ourselves in that way of writing it down. I don't, it sort of seems like a simple thing, but it can be such a powerful thing because it's like you've rewritten it to yourself or something, you know? You've rewritten mm, mm. it or something like that. Yeah. You know, and I think that also it, it, because it's so onerous to be thinking about like an entire lifetime and, you know, the truth of the matter is everything seems so much smaller in the rear view mirror, right? Like yeah. it's like, the obstacles that you face, the challenges. So one of the things that um, you don't talk about as part of the strategies, but I talk about in my overall program is the importance of celebration because we really are so quick to bypass onto the next thing because guess what? That wasn't that big a deal that I made, you know, that I made that decision, you know, in the moment it was a huge deal, but we tend to bypass because we're on to the next thing. Again, that's how the ego operates. So I think that tracking your wins on a daily basis, like what are three things I feel really good about? Or um, another way I've been thinking about this lately is what are three decisions that I made that were really, um, that were really powerful, you know, so tracking good decision, tracking wins, uh, on an ongoing basis is really powerful, especially when we're dealing with the imposter complex, especially, you know, about the decisions, because one of the things we can do is we can also bypass ourselves by assuming that things happen to us because we're just really lucky as opposed to making good decisions, making good choices. Um, you know, doing the harder thing. So I think that that's an important thing too, to be creating a practice of tracking your wins and and your good decisions. I think both are really important to do. Um, I do my very best to do that on the daily. I would say it's a little more like every other day, um, but it's, but it's something that I've been doing for a couple of years now and it, and it really makes a massive difference. And then I'm, then I'm that much more able to receive when somebody gives me an acknowledgement. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 I was actually just, you've kind of brought it back to what I, what I was going to say then, because I think for me, and I, and I, I imagine, and totally this is me imagining that other people um, might also, who, who, who are very focused on doing things to work to change the world and, and to change other people's lives and to make the world a fairer place, might be feeling like, well, this is very sort of like focused on me and, you know, I really want to, you know, uh, make the world a better place. So how could me writing, you know, celebrating myself, you know, who's going to, how, how is that going to make a difference? And I, I kind of wanted to ask that to you because I, I know that there's an answer to that and you've kind of come to it in a way. I know that for me and, and maybe for other people listening who might be very focused on making a positive change in the world, making the world a fairer place, they might have um, questions like, how can focusing on myself and my achievements mm. be something that, you know, can make a change happen, you know, can contribute to me being able to make change happen in the world? And I wonder what your take was on that. So when I hear you say that, what I'm, what I'm, I'm hearing something um, parallel also. Mm-hmm. And so it's a great, great question, and, and I'll get there. But I also, there's something in there that was something about if somebody is, it's like a 
a waste of time is what I hear. It's a waste of time to celebrate. It's a waste of time to track the wins. It's a waste of time. So I totally completely mm, understand that. Right, exactly. There's so, much, there's so much problems in the world. So how can I waste time on that would be, yeah. Might be. Absolutely. And so, um, so I completely 100% get it. The thing is when we are, we are, showing up in so many different areas in our life depleted, um, not well rested, not filled up. And when we try to operate from a place of depletion, uh, that's when we really get stuck in some, some scarcity. Uh, that's really where we get stuck in, um, in just a place of, of lack. Mm-hmm. And as people who are fighting injustice oh my gosh it's actually really super emotional with that uh it's fighting the fights that need to get fought you have to be coming at this from a a a nourish hydrated filled up place that's actually a huge part of your job because so many people are are needing you and because there are so many places where you're not getting it, where yeah. you're not getting that kind of um, hydration or like that, that nourishment, there are so many places where you're being pulled at. And um, so it's absolutely like, I, gosh, I feel super hot just saying this. That's your job is to make sure that your well is very full because people are counting on that. And that feels very triggery in the sense of, you know, put it, mounting the pressure on. But if you recognize that this is part of your job, that we can't have you showing up um, sort of already depleted to fight the fight, you're, you're going to burn yourself out and then pull pull those resources away from the thing that you're here to do. And the thing you're here to do is unique to you and you know it because it's the thing that keeps you awake at night. Mm. Um, But you can, as long as you're taking exquisite care of yourself and that doesn't necessarily mean um, the massages and everything else that we've associated with it. It might, but for you, you need to figure out what is going to keep you build up? Is it um, a spiritual practice? Is it a ongoing practice of tracking your wins? Is it a, is it continuous reminders, all the reasons that you are the person to take the stage? Um, It's really like finding your own way to, uh, to, to completion rather than this, this place where we like to, where we go to a depletion because we think that it's selfish. We think it's gratuitous. We think it's, um, uh, yeah, we think it's selfish, I guess, is the, is the word that keeps coming in. And I know that's an inner critic stuff. Yeah. It's a lot of inner critic stuff right there. Yeah. So I just, I mean, I, I feel like I just, I feel, I know, actually, I don't feel, I know that it is your job to, um, to fill yourself up because otherwise you're just, you're not showing up uh, fully equipped for the long journey. And it's a long yeah. journey. That, that, that was a very, very beautiful mm. um, explanation of why I care so much about my work. <laughs> Absolutely. So I guess our last question that we always love asking is, so how do you make sure that you take care of yourself and relax? <laughs> well, okay. So calling myself completely out, uh, this last weekend, I, I, here's how I, the work is so alive and well with me. I went away with my family for the weekend. I forgot my phone. This never <laughs> happened. 
It's never, ever, ever happened. So I was like, I'm oh. quite sure that was the one of the <laughs> best holidays ever. Right? <laughs> like, I came back and I said to my group, oh my gosh, even, like, when even you don't know that your tank needed to get filled up, sometimes it gets filled up for you. And that's exactly mm-hmm. what happened. Leaving the fun at home. So that's now literally like I recognize how important that is. I haven't seen it. So I have, yeah. you know, yes, I, I do meditation and I make sure that I, you know, get mm. my workouts in, but oh, hey, that made a, a huge difference. Trust yeah. me, yeah. I'll tell you that it's going to be a weekend every month where the phone just goes in the drawer. Brilliant. Uh, seriously, because then you're absolutely disconnecting from the world. Yes. And uh, as, as you guys maybe know, um, we have this thing at Dijazo, the away day, which is, you know, partly about unplugging. And I've been challenging some of the people on the team to do this. And mm-hmm. they've been finding it really difficult to turn their phones off. <laughs> but they've also been finding, you know, they've been finding the, the benefit in it as well. So, yeah, I think it's quite liberating if you can just oh. stay one day absolutely disconnected from everything else, not have to worry uh, about a client going to call you, absolutely, uh, yeah. going to call you, you know, you know, uh, your mother is going to call you for some reason. Yeah. <laughs> it's just completely, just completely disconnect. Yeah. You know, I can, I just, I'm going to add something to my last uh, statement about why Thank it's you. so important. And I think that like that phone, you know, the, there were energies that were beyond me at work there. Something colluded to make sure that I left with my phone at home. And you have seen this, both of you have seen this, where if you don't take good care of yourself, something in your body is going to shut down and force you to rest. Exactly. And I think that's yeah. a really huge, like we forget that or, and I mean, the body, gosh, it's so literal, right? Like you'll pinch a nerve or you'll, um, I mean, when I wasn't taking good care, anyway, lots of things will happen. Physical manifestations are going to happen if you're not taking good care of yourself. And it sounds extremely woo woo, but we see it time and time and time again. Mm. I think that that's important to remember that there are factors that are working beyond what we can even see. And if we don't take care of ourselves, rest assured, something's going to come along and shut it down. Yeah. And then it's very well said. Yeah. See it as a problem or a, or a, or a gift. I yeah. think as well, yeah. right? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. that's great. <laughs> Thank you so much for Thank you um, so much. Yeah, being yeah. with us this evening, Tanya. Please remind us where people can find you and your work. Yeah, they can find me at tanyageisler.com. And when they go there, they'll have the option of uh, checking out my Imposter Complex 101 series. So it's just four short videos that I walk through the live of the imposter complex these behavioral traits like the leaky boundaries etc um and uh yeah i think they're it's a great primer for what the imposter complex is and what to do about it when it shows up yeah and i would recommend anyone who's been listening to this conversation has been like oh i've you know some of that's you know familiar to me to check those out because I think that your work is really really smart and really brilliant around this and I also it is yeah, yeah. I really feel like um, it's it that there's some really wise strategies in what you're in what you speak about that people can you know people can use in there wherever they are and and then of course those who want to go deeper with you you can find out about that on the website 
right? Yeah. yeah. Yes, absolutely. Thank you so much. That's, that's my hope. That's my hope that the work is useful and meaningful and helpful to be certain. So it's absolutely helpful because now you can actually pinpoint and identify what, you know, what the problem is rather than not having a, an identity to whatever it is that you're going through and you just feel like, oh, it's me. You're not alone. You're an exquisite company, like unbelievably good company. So we're, we're, we're in this together and our job is to keep our, our job is to recognize that we're in this together and to, and to lift each other up. I'm really I'm mm. certain of that. I'm certain of that. Thank you for the work that you two are doing. Thank you, Tanya. Thank you so much, Tanya. Yeah. Enjoy the rest of your day. <laughs> Will do. And our theme tune over and over was written and performed by Eleanor Brown, who you can find at eleanorbrownmusic.com.